presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast. Today's topics discussion are on the federal COVID-19 relief funding sent to Colorado generally and the portion of it that has gone to K-12 education specifically. In total, from a series of aid packages sent between 2020 and early 2021, Colorado has claimed over $65 billion of federal money. That's a lot. You consider that's twice as much as the state budget in the upcoming year. Today, our guests will discuss where all of it's going and what's being done with it. First, I'm joined by CSI's Vice President of Policy and Research, Chris Brown, who spent a lot of time this year tracking the various federal spending bills and their impacts on Colorado. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Earl. My other guest is Brenda Dickhoner, CSI's Mike A. Laprino Fellow. Brenda's area of expertise is K-12 education and recently wrote a report, which I encourage all of you to read, is exceptional, about this very issue as it affects Colorado's education budget spending. You can read her study on commonsenseinstitutecode.org. Thanks for joining us, Brenda. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. It's always great to have both of you on board. I'm not suggesting today's interview is going to be easy, Okay. Because I have a lot of questions that are just some of this stuff just as a taxpayer, I'm just saying, wait a minute, how does all this work? So, Chris, let's get started with you. We'll be talking a whole lot about all the different relief bills that the federal government passed in the last several months. Can you tell us something about what they are and why are they relevant to Colorado? Well, I think you summed it up in your introduction, Earl. The estimates from the state uh, governor's Office of Planning and Budget, the Governor's Budget Office, have in, you know estimated that between the six COVID-19 federal relief bills, approximately 65 billion, and these are estimates uh, subject to change, but about 65 billion dollars at least has come to Colorado since the start of the pandemic. So this is two administrations. This is the Trump administration and the Biden administration. That's right. Okay. There's a lot of different ways to understand the magnitude of $65 billion. As you put it, it's twice the state budget. Uh, the estimate is more than 15% of state, Colorado state GDP. And this is having a profound effect and impact across multiple sectors, uh, across our state budget, uh, and will for several years. But um, $65 billion... And let's put this in perspective with regards to our listeners. Our budget in 2020 fiscal year was $33 billion. 2021, it was $32.2 billion. Well, that difference, because the pandemic, doesn't add up to $65 billion. So I'm sitting here saying, what is the justification that we get $65 billion when we haven't had anything in our budget that would suggest we had that kind of a shortfall? Well, I think, and we can get into the details here, but I think, you know, off the bat, we should note that that $65 billion number is across all federal programs. So a large portion of that and a majority of those funds actually did not flow directly to the state government. Ah, so, so there's other programs that, was PPP a part of that? That's right. The Paycheck Protection Program was a large part of that. Household stimulus payments were a large part of that. 
and the increased federal uh, contributions to unemployment insurance or the, incre- the enhanced federal benefits were a large part of that. The current estimate is that the state government uh, received about $11.6 billion of that $65 billion in funds. So directly to state government, it's about $11.6 billion. And, and again, for a little more context, prior to the pandemic, all federal funds appropriated by the state government as part of that state budget was less than $9 billion. So this is effectively, the COVID relief has effectively doubled the amount of federal funding that the state receives in any normal year. Okay, so to put that in perspective, all $65 billion did not go into the state coffers. That's right. It went to help the average citizen and help the business with the PPP plan and a variety of things. So the net that you're talking about that went into the state coffers, again, is how much? It's estimated $11.6 billion went to state agencies. That's still a lot more than any deficit that we may have experienced during the pandemic if you take a look at the, the, the budgets for the last three years. While at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a projection that the state was going to lose, you know, anywhere from two to three billion dollars annually in in new revenue, you know, through the course of the pandemic, partially because of the federal funding, but also because we we saw, you know, sustained incomes, we saw sustained consumption. The budget impacts the state is actually the budget is actually rebounded and revenue state revenues are increasing. So this is far larger than any budget hole the state or local governments found themselves in. Okay. I will refer to this as the largesse all of a sudden that we as a state have. And Brenda, if you're talking about all of a sudden having more money than than, uh, maybe we had budgeted and maybe some good fortune, uh, let's talk about education then. The K-12 stimulus funding. How much COVID-19 relief funding have schools received and how has it been distributed? The federal government has sent over $2.5 billion to Colorado's K-12 education system since the COVID-19 pandemic hit in March 2020. A good portion of those dollars, about $1.6 billion, have flowed to school districts through the Title I formula. Hold on. What's the Title I formula? The Title I formula is based on the number of low-income students in each district. So the, dis- the dollars flow directly to school district based on the number of low-income students they have. And so that determined their award amount that they received. And what was the basis for that? COVID-19 has really hit our country on a socioeconomic level. The, the, the poorest individuals in our country have been hit the hardest in terms of highest likelihood of catching covid uh, and not no access to uh, good health care, to the resources that they need. Uh, you have multiple people living in households usually, and so their households can be greater. And so if someone catches COVID-19, it was more likely to spread faster. It's really been a pandemic that has really hit our country on a socioeconomic level. And so oh. distributing these fo- dollars through a socioeconomic formula, such as Title I, made a lot of sense, especially when we were facing this back, you know, last in March when we were looking at what we knew then. Okay. So are you giving me code that we're going to uh – pay the teachers more now to teach better? Or are you giving me code that these children receive the funds directly? Or tell me how that money is going to be used for those that have been impacted. 
Yeah. So the dollars that have come from the from the federal government through Congress has been, uh, you know, they have had strings attached to them. There's pretty clear regulations. There's a lot of reporting requiring required auditing. Under the first package, there's been multiple stimulus packages. The first package, which was passed, the CARES Act in March 2020, said that these dollars had to be spent on anything related to COVID-19 and its impact on students in schools. At that time, a lot of the needs were shifting to buying devices, buying computers for families, buying hotspots, getting kids online because schools were closed. We were all remote. Over time now, the needs have shifted for schools, and so the funding packages have also kind of shifted their strings that are tied tied to it. So the December stimulus package and then the most recent one of March 2021, the American Rescue Plan, have a little bit different uh, conditions with the dollar. So they ask schools to spend this on uh, summer programming, on after-school programming, and anything that could help students catch up on learning, catch up on that learning loss. So they have to show that they're they're spending that in that way. So they directly have aimed it at the, the students that have lower socioeconomic issues with the uh, hardware and software and broadband, I'm guessing, that would be necessary for the virtual learning that we all experienced in the last year and a half. And you're talking about supplemental education that the teachers will now be doing tutorials or tutoring programs and additional after-school programs for these kids to catch up. Is that the idea? That is, yes. And we know that the, the districts do have to submit their plans for how they're spending these funds to the Department of Education here in Colorado. And there hasn't been any you know, formal release of these plans or what's in them. But, you know, anecdotally, what we're hearing from the department is that schools are asking for, you know, to hire additional staff or pay current staff additional hours for after school and for summer school to run those programs, as well as the, the technology piece has been a huge expenditure. And then upgrading facilities and ventilation systems has also been a very big expenditure. So the actual additional education is all process and work. Is that fair? A work in process, I'm sorry. A work in progress, yes. <laughs> uh, yes. I, I, I mean, the way that these, this is, this is a ginormous amount of money. And I think that the way that these packages were released by Congress is it, they were kind of on one on top of another. So schools hadn't really even spent their previous stimulus dollars when the American Rescue Plan was enacted in March 2021. So you have schools still spending dollars from all of these packages that uh, they are still making those decisions on how they need to spend these funds. And so now that the context has shifted to students being back in person, you know, how that money is going to be spent is going to look a little bit different now. So how long will this money last? Is this something that's just a one summer wonder or is this something that is going to be you know, a three-year effort to try to have the kids catch up? What are we talking about? Yes. So the first stimulus package that was passed, the CARES Act, has a deadline of 2022 that funds have to be spent by. And then the December stimulus package has to be spent by 2023. And the March 2021 funds, which is the bulk of the dollars, have to be spent by 2024. So we have about the next three years to spend these funds and to hopefully catch our kids back up too. Let me ask you the question which somebody managing a company always has to kind of wonder how are you going to make certain these funds are spent the way they're supposed to be spent? And at the same time, how are you going to monitor it that you're getting the outcome you'd like to have? I think that's a great question that I think we need to all be asking our state government right now because they're the ones in charge of this. And I think there's not a clear plan yet for that, for this reporting and monitoring. It's a huge undertaking when you think about the dollars attached to this. And this is just 
I, I can't emphasize enough how large this influx of dollars is for our schools and to have to, you know, for 178 school districts and lots more schools to track what they're doing and then report back on that is going to be a huge undertaking. And if I can just jump in. I, I think it's interesting. You're asking the right questions, Earl. And you know, I've talked about this, you know, for months, think, considering the impacts and trying to understand the, you have to kind of envision the challenge here from a data standpoint and, and us trying to understand the information being filtered through the state and being reported by the state. But you have the federal government allocating dollars across six or seven different federal authorizations going to multiple state agencies and local governments. And then on the education side, these dollars are being allocated directly to districts who have discretion over individual use of all those funds. So as you... But with a specific purpose in mind. I would almost say there's a general purpose in Oops. mind, which is, <laughs> I, you could categorize it differently than me, but I, I'd say the general purpose has been to address acute needs related to health and economic disruption. The specifics are really the, the challenge in understanding. And I, and I think you can engage and understand, and this maybe we'll talk about later, but the time to engage and, and provide feedback and understand where, again, maybe your local school district or the area that you're, you know, uh, part of is spending, whether that's, you know, in state, some state program, but it will vary. And, and it, the reporting of how those dollars are being used at that very detailed level has not really been filtering up to a way in which we can aggregate really easily, which is why we're talking high-level numbers at the moment but I think there's going to have to be a lot that will come out in the coming months, years, about what those specific allocations look like. Well, Brenda, even though the Chris jumped in, I'm not going to let you off the hook. Yeah, no, please don't. The dollars we're talking about, uh, two, $2.5 How does that layer on top of how much our school districts are getting relative to what they're getting now as far as allocation from the state and how much more does that add to their overall budget? Are we talking about peanuts? Is it 5% of their overall budget that all of a sudden they have additional funds to do this with? Or are we talking about something that is more significant? It's help us out as to the magnitude of the dollars and to accomplish the broader goal of, of uh, catch-up. I call it catch-up in the educational deficit that some of these uh, kids in a lower socioeconomic environment have got. Please. The school budget passed this past year in the legislature for the fiscal year 21-22 that's upcoming. It was approaching $8 billion. So $2.5 billion of that is still a very large share for yeah. uh, education budget. It's well over 25%. That's right. And again, it can be spent over the next three years, but it still remains a large amount. And, and so that's 10% per year, just for simple math that I can handle. That's right. And, and if you look at it, too, this, you know, the way that the budgets were impacted when COVID had hit the state, schools did see a decrease in their budget from the state of about $368 million from, FY, from fiscal year 2020 to 
fiscal year 2021. So this was last year as, as the pandemic was hitting us. So if you look at this stimulus package of $2.5 billion, I mean, that's nearly seven times the amount of the decrease in the state budget. And then on top of that, you know, the state legislators this year realized that our educa- our state budget actually had some more cash in it than we thought it was going to have. So they were able to replenish the education budget on the state level and put more money to schools. And they increased school funding by over 10.4% or about $750 million out of state funds. Holy cow. So we had a 360 deficit. They made it up with seven. 750. I'm, I'm netting out better than 2.5. I'm, you know, I'm talking about you know close to three billion dollars here. That's right. My goodness, how many schools were closed? What's the impact of school closure? How many? Uh, how many? Uh, what was it? Was the cost of education the same last year as it has been going forward? I mean, we're spending the money, and if we're not going to school, and the, the classroom is not there. I wouldn't expect that we're spending as much money as maybe was budgeted, or what am I missing? Yeah, when the pandemic hit last March in 2020, all schools in the country, nearly all schools, I think it was something like 99% of schools closed, both public and private. And I think we were in a crisis. There were a lot of investments made, again, in technology and in getting families connected to Wi-Fi. And that was a huge cost. And so school districts, what they did, this was before they even had access to stimulus dollars, were shifting their internal budgets to say, well, we're saving on transportation because our bus isn't running. Our schools aren't operating. You know, We're not running food services. So we can take that money and shift it to buying laptops. And so we saw a lot of districts doing that. And then as this you know, stimulus funding uh, started to pour in, we saw them be able to kind of fill some of those budget gaps and continue to invest in those technological needs. Uh, and again, as I mentioned earlier, you know, now that schools are back up and running, uh, those budget dynamics have changed, and now there's some different priorities that schools are focused on. You're skirting the issue, Brenda, but you're telling me that the money was spent some other way. There wasn't really budgetary savings. I don't, yeah, Earl, I wish I could answer that question. I don't know what the, the kind of net losses or profits were for school districts. Um, you know, I know that's all I know anecdotally. I talked to a couple of superintendents that said they were using their transportation budget to buy laptops. So that's one anecdote I can share with you, but I don't know what the overall impact was. Okay. All right. Well, we only know what we know, right? It sounds like Colorado now has a lot of money. It hasn't had quite uh, decided to do with it as of yet. Um, any good policymaker would tell you that the situation presents a compelling set of opportunities, quote unquote. And those are what we're going to discuss next. Chris, a lot of federal money uh, has come to Colorado and received it either strictly on a discretionary or, or discretionary with some limited bounds. Explain to us, if you would, what is uh, the spending endeavors uh, that are being considered? And what are the limitations that, we ha- that we're going to deal with? You know, we started this conversation at the aggregate number of $65 billion okay. across, again, household, PPP loans, uh, unemployment assistance. We narrowed that down to $11.6 billion to state agencies. But from the American Rescue Plan, which was passed in March, which is the most recent uh, federal stimulus really allocated $3.8 billion to the state government that's really more of this discretionary spending that the governor and the legislature have had the ability to make decisions on where that's being spent. That is – so we're narrowing this down to $3.8 billion. Which is, again, a little bit more than 10% of our budget for – 
uh, fiscal year 22. Yeah, and, and when you consider the general fund portion of our state budget, which is the portion of the budget that the legislature really uh, has mo- discretion over, that's 12 to 14 billion. Oh, the general fund, that's where I pay my taxes into it. Is that correct? Well, your taxes go to the whole thing, but that's where most of the income tax revenue is a- spent. A lot of sale, most of the sales tax revenue is spent. Absolutely. You know, and, and in any given year, rewind two, three years ago when state economy was doing very well and the budget was growing, you know, any, in any given year, the state legislature, because of the, you know, the increase in revenue and the, and the budget pressures and the budget growth, they would only have maybe an incremental two to three hundred million dollars in a good year that represented new the ability to spend money on new priorities and in a good year let's say 2 to 300 million dollars out of this state aid this 3.8 billion you know that's more than 10x what the legislature would have in a normal year as sort of at their disposal uh, related to new discretionary spending so this year in the legislative session that just ended <laughs> the state legislature uh, allocated about 2.2. The most recent estimate is allocated about 2.2 billion. So fast forward, you know, six months wait from now. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Go ahead. They allocated 2.2 billion to what? The the largest area of spending they've categorized as fortifying the state budget and maintaining fiscal integrity. So this really represented shoring up a lot of the reserve funds. Okay. And how much did the, they do there? So that was $1 billion. $1 billion. That was a billion dollars. Of the 2.2, okay. That's right. They included uh, $300 million in COVID-related uh, spending. So this is continued support for public health response, spending, and, and oversight. Uh, they how, how much is that again? About $300 million. That's what they have an average excess in a good year, and they spent that on covid is that how much the shots cost, or what are we talking about? It's not in, it's not entirely clear in these reports. There's also additional money that other agencies have received to help roll out shots, but part of that is absolutely some of the planning and and support to have the vaccination roll out and sort of continued public health dollars available. Well, quick math suggests to me that for every citizen, that's you know a few thousand dollars for COVID. Go ahead. It's it, it is. I mean, in any, and again, in any other time frame, three hundred million dollars is an is an incredible amount of money. It sure is. For the state of Colorado to be spending from this session, they also allocated or spent between four hundred and five hundred and fifty million on affordable housing and home ownership. Excuse me. Specifically, <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, home ownership. Are they going to all of a sudden make down payments for others? Or what are we talking about? So the way that they've categorized this is strategic investments to build housing supply, remove barriers to increase housing affordability, and address homelessness are the way that that category is being reported at the moment. Okay. As I, the last number I heard from Common Sense Institute was an old study. You said homelessness is costing us $28,000 per homeless person, and your updated study is suggesting it's twice that, and so they're going to contribute to that cost. Is that the idea? 
the idea would be that <clears throat> there would be some expenses related to uh, addressing either an increase in homelessness or the continued budgetary pressures from homelessness. Uh, but exactly how that's being spent, again, you have to kind of wade through different department budgets to understand exactly where that's being allocated. And, and whether who's, that's, who's making that decision as to how it's being allocated and how you're going to do the home, the uh, affordable housing and and uh, helping people buy homes? Who's making the decision as to how that's going to be done? Yeah, each state agency that is receiving these federal dollars uh, is making those decisions. So it's the Colorado bureaucracy will be handling it. That's right. Okay, under whose guidance and supervision? Uh, the plans that have to be submitted by each agency ultimately have to be signed off by each agency director. So uh, this really becomes an executive-level decision so and authorizing the, this. So the public in general, there's not going to be some community involvement in how this is done. It's basically there will be a proposal as to how these funds will be used, and then uh, the governor will make certain that the bureaucracy can, in essence, execute based upon the plans that the the various department heads have come up with and he's approved? Yeah, earlier this spring, the state government ran a Building Back Stronger campaign, is what I'll call it, where right. they held listening tour. They, had a, a, they held a statewide listening tour to, to solicit direct input from across Colorado. And they issued a report based upon that feedback and comments that the public made through that process that they are indicating helped guide their decisions for where a lot of the funds were allocated for the 2021 session. But again, I, I think it's really important to note that there remains about $1.6 billion as an estimate that is still going to be decided on exactly what the allocation and use of that will be, again, leading into the 2022 legislative session. Chris, I'm puzzled. Um, I, I've heard what Brenda said, and it seems that Brenda's suggestion as to how the education will be spent has a long-lasting impact. If we're successful with regards to what they're trying to do, it'll have a long-lasting impact on education, which, and as we all know, the better educated the public, the better chance we have of of people uh, having income inequality uh, starting to, to lessen. I hear you say this. This seems like it's a one-time uh, shot at doing something, which may or may not have a long-term impact. I guess housing would help people longer term. But uh, convince me that uh, what you're talking about on the f four or five hundred million million, right? That it's going to have a uh, long-term impact, uh, a positive impact. Well. I don't know if I can sit here and convince you today. Here's, here's what I'll say and how I've talked about the priorities for spending. And if I were to sort of look at what the state has said and legislature and governor have said, but the, the main priority was addressing health response, uh, responding to the health of the pandemic, then addressing the most acute economic needs. The third priority has been replenishing reserves and building back the budget to the point where the reserve funds, cash reserve funds, rainy day funds, budgetary uh, reserves have been replenished. Capital construction funds have been have added to. And this fourth area then, once those needs have really been addressed, and a lot of this money has gone 
above and beyond addressing those sort of three initial steps. The next, the fourth kind of real ability from the, these excess in federal dollars has been addressing long-term needs. And, and we've talked about this in the context of the unemployment insurance trust fund or other areas. One way that I've thought about how the funds should be prioritized is addressing long-term financial pressure that the state will face through the use of these one-time funds, meaning the budgetary pressure that both the state and uh, businesses will face from the fact that the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund has over a billion dollars in federal loans that still have to be repaid because of the spike in unemployment through the pandemic. Now, wait, wait, wait. So how is it, how is it repaid? Who, who just refresh us as to how is that money going to be uh, accumulated to repay that debt? The, un- the regular unemployment insurance claims are paid by the unemployment insurance trust fund funded by a payroll tax and various surcharges charged to uh, the businesses that have individuals eligible for unemployment insurance. So businesses fund uh, the unemployment insurance trust fund. And as I said, right now has, because depleted all of its funds, it went into the pandemic with more than a billion dollars in the bank and now has more than a billion dollars in federal Mm -hmm. loans because it ran out of money last August. Did every state uh, have to borrow money from the U.S. government to... uh pay for their unemployment insurance? If not, uh, why is it that Colorado did? No, certainly not. You know, going into the the pandemic, Colorado trust fund was not in a good place. And Colorado actually ranks in the top 10 in federal loans per resident in one way to look at it. So we are only one of less than 20 states that ended up drawing federal loans. And at this point, there has been no official commitment from the state to use any of the federal dollars to replenish those those loans. So this is just an additional cost of doing business coming out of the pandemic for businesses. Certainly, yeah, to, and, and to, the to replenish to replenish the unemployment insurance fund. That's right. And the projection from the state forecast is that in the next several years, the tax increase to replenish the trust fund will be more than five hundred million dollars a year at, mm. at minimum. So this will be a significant tax increase that businesses we know will face federal dollars. 500 million will have to come out of businesses' pockets to start replenishing it. Over the next, that's right, annually for several years in order to continue to pay claims and replenish replenish the, the trust fund. You know, another area, and I maybe plug another report that just came out uh, from uh, our CSI fellows in housing, when you talk about not just sort of replenishing financial uh, demands and alleviating some of that cost pressure. But, you know, I'd encourage listeners, if they haven't already, to go and take a look at the housing study, the uh, report put out by our Terry J. Stevenson fellows just two weeks ago. You know, they talk about how specifically some of these federal dollars that are being allocated or could still be allocated to to whether it's the housing department or in consultation with our Office of Economic Development and other agencies could alleviate some of the the costs 
uh, of building new homes that would actually address our, our huge supply shortage that we face, uh, which has caused you know prices to skyrocket in the last several months. So there's really some, you know, the, the money in many ways has been allocated, has hit uh, different accounts, but you know we still think that there's some discretion over how that money is is spent that could see these positive economic returns in the long run. One of the other areas that um, we have as a big deficit is para. What is that, $30 billion? Is there any way that any of this excess, or what I refer to as the largesse, can be used for that? Or is there any kind of moving of dollars around that can help? Uh, because that's a, that's a huge impact on the, the Colorado citizen or liability for each Colorado citizen. Yeah, the state pension has been something we focused on yeah, for years and put out another report earlier talking specifically about this. Now, one of the strings attached to the federal dollars uh, was sort of the explicit suggestion that the federal funds could not be used to repay or pay down any state pension debt. However, because of what we talked about earlier, the fact that the state revenue has rebounded and the state budget and state revenue has grown significantly, we think there is an ab- absolutely an opportunity to pay down some of the para debt, possibly alleviate some of those costs to school districts and the taxpayer uh, of you know what we know will be increased costs down the road. So we definitely think there's an opportunity for the state to address uh, para needs through state surplus funds. Well, it seems to me that the uh, state government has a whole lot of uh, in the way of decisions to make. I'm not real certain other than how we stay tuned as to how they're uh, allocating the funds, if there's much that we as an average citizen can do. Is there, Brenda? There's a little bit that can be done. There's a pot of money that the Colorado Department of Education still has to spend, and you know, it's somewhere in the $100 million range um, that they have discretion over. And they're doing a listening tour that kicks off tomorrow, I believe, and they're taking input from families and parents and any, any affiliation with schools. You should listen to that and give your input on, on how those dollars should be spent. That's great. So we have to be active citizen then. Be an Be active aware. citizen. Yeah. And I think, Earl, you know, that's a key takeaway for me is from this is I'm not quite sure what the rationale was for the stimulus package in March 2021 for being so large. You know, when you look at what was passed in March 2020, so again, schools are closed, families are in chaos, the country's in chaos, and we allocated $121 million to the Colorado schools is what the, the federal government gave Colorado schools, $121 million. And you fast forward to March 2021, schools are reopening, everyone's being vaccinated, teachers have access to vaccinations, and, and we, te- we more than 10 times that amount, or close to 10 times that amount, and we, we give Colorado $1.17 billion for schools. So I don't know what the rationale was that, you know, I'll let the political pundits take on why a new Democratic administration may part, you know, pass such a huge stimulus package, but it did pass, right? And now we've got that money to spend. And so now I think that's where we need to focus and say, well, what could we do to spend that money? And I think Colorado Department of Education has a discretionary pot of money that still needs to be spent that they're seeking input for. And then you should talk to your local schools and local school districts because they're still trying to figure out how to spend these dollars as well. And so if you're a parent and you want to talk to your school about you getting more enhanced after school programming or tutoring options for your student who fell behind in reading, I think pushing for those options and pushing for what families and students really need is what's critical at this time. 
So you're you're advocating that if we really want to be aware of how these dollars are being used, then get involved and have a chance to interact with the uh, administrations. Do you think they'd appreciate it? I do. Yes, I do think that there you there are some actual requirements in these stimulus funds too that that they seek input. So that is why our Department of Education is doing this listening tour. Is requi- it's required to seek stakeholder input. But I think, you know, jump on that moment and, and try to make it genuine and so that it's hopefully not this just kind of echo chamber of, you know, the, the status quo just doing what it was going to do anyways. But maybe there can be this kind of push for what do, what do parents and families really need? I mean, this really du- disrupted the whole education system this past year. And I think we've learned a lot about how kids can learn differently, how families can d- learn differently and or, or can support their learners to, you know, su- to succeed. And so I think, you know, can we really try to use these funds innovatively and creatively would be my hope, uh, you know, that we're not just hiring a bunch of more staff that then when we hit a funding cliff, once these one-time funds run out, that we're going to have to let go staff. You know, hopefully we're spending these funds in a little bit more of a creative way. Get involved. And that's, I mean, that, that last point, I think, is something we haven't touched on. It's, it's a matter that I think citizens should just try to amass information and, and ask these questions where possible of their representatives or as they see news coming out in the coming months is, these are temporary dollars, right? These are not dollars that are going to be coming to Colorado for years to come. Uh, and so people should be on the lookout to understand, are there commitments being made with these dollars that will require ongoing expenditure? And down the road, if we see uh, debates over the need for increased revenue, are any of those increased demands on our state funding or local budgets sort of created by the fact that uh, these the decision makers over federal dollars have taken on ongoing obligations? Ongoing obligations. Okay. And, and so I think there's this important oversight from the public that I think is also critical to not only ensure that these, this money is addressing the acute needs, focusing on investments – but also not creating future burdens for Colorado taxpayers. Well, it seems like we have a heck, a, big, a really significant opportunity here with regards to the government uh, giving us additional funding. But uh, really, that opportunity continues to be something that uh, enhance, enhances the state or creates a burden. Is what you're saying, Chris? We need to stay engaged and and encourage our. Uh, I guess, a bureaucracy and the various agencies to uh, spend this in a way that is actually going to have an immediate impact and hopefully and not a long t- long-term long and financial obligation out of that immediate impact. Am I hearing you all? Certainly. Okay. Brenda, Chris, as always, it's, it's uh, always fun having the conversation with you. And you're always so insightful. I appreciate your insight in helping us understand the issues better. Thanks for having us, Earl. Thank you, Earl. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.